0: Let's jump into our series. We are in the book of Acts. We're in the spot that makes everyone go crazy. We're talking about Pentecost. We've been in this for a few weeks now, and we're gonna be riding this train into January. So if you're new and you're just starting, feel free to go to our app, go to our webpage. You can follow along and catch up with the sermons if you'd like to know where we've been and what we're doing. Uh, With that being said, I'm gonna cover a lot of ground and a lot of scripture today it's okay, they're in the app. You can look all the references up later. Uh, if I'm flipping too fast, it's cool. It'll be on the screen, or if you wanna to try to keep up, you can grab the Bible in front of you and that'll keep you occupied if I'm boring you too much. Now, I, uh, I remember my first missions trip. Uh, I went to a missions trip in Mexico, and a lot of memories came from that missions trip. I remember buying switchblades. I know, this just shows where I was in my walk. Fireworks that were clearly more dynamite than firecrackers. I remember hearing the song Red Red Wine for an entire night while I slept on a dirty slab of concrete while the kids threw rocks at us trying to get us to leave. I'm like, wow, those are fun memories. But there was this underlying thing the entire time when I was on that trip. And I couldn't shake it, and I was frustrated. For most of the trip, you're like, was it, was it the music? No, was it the rocks? No, was it the concrete? No, it wasn't any of that stuff. I was never able to fully communicate with people in a place where I was actually called to go to communicate with. And so, of course, the church is like, hey, we'll teach you some phrases. I'm like, perfect, I need phrases. And so the phrases were, barbecue esta noches? I'm like, okay. And then the other one was, Cristo en mi, en mi corazón. So I'm like, come to the barbecue, Christ is in my heart. And I'm like, that's going to come across as weird if that's the only phrase I kept saying over and over again. And I remember going, I want to share what I know. I want to share Jesus. And it was so hard because you know what I needed? I needed an interpreter. And if I didn't have an interpreter, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And what we find here today, where we are, is that we need an interpreter to communicate the power and the magnitude of the gospel. And if we try to do it in our own power, I think that we're going to become very frustrated in life. So where we are today is Acts 2, 1 through 12. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to kind of jump in. There's a lot of things to cover. Uh, We'll get to as many as we can. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Parthians and Medes and Amalites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Capedonia, Pontus, Asia, Phyria, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of uh like Liberia belonging to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to share from your word. Lord, I pray that we are always in your word, communicating your truth, That is not our opinions, thoughts, and ideas, but it's from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that I preach this morning that you would would fill me, that you would give me the ability to communicate the message of your son to the men and women here and that there would be some today that would even respond to the call of the Savior. If there are things that I shouldn't say, take it away from me. If there are things that I need to say, please let me say it. Let me be a conduit for you, Holy Spirit, that I would get out of the way so you can do what you do best, which is change lives and draw men to Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Okay, here we are. We're at Pentecost. This is the one. We're going to get into it, but there's a couple things we need to understand as we move forward, and it's always going to be about context. Context is key. What did the original receivers of this letter understand when these things were being written. So when we talk about Pentecost, what is Pentecost? Why do we even use the word Pentecost? Well, it's the festival of Pentecost, or sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks, okay? It has a lot to do with harvest and agriculture. That's the society that they lived in. So agriculture was really big. It also pointed to things in the past that had happened in the history of the Jewish people. And so this was the second feast that was taking place. So this took place 50 days or seven weeks after Passover. So when we say cost, it's five, it's 50, right? So, and then we go, well, why would they call it Feast of Weeks? Seven weeks after. So that's, these names all kind of make sense when you start to break them down. They're not highly complicated. It's kind of in there. But what was happening was one harvest was ending, And the festival of Pentecost was about the grain harvest starting. Now, don't miss the irony. Don't miss what's going on. Don't miss what God's doing in this moment. There's nothing that's happenstance. It's not like, oh, what a coincidence that God was doing this new thing on a time when a harvest was taking place. It's absolutely purposeful that that is what God is doing. That there is a new harvest, and it's not a harvest about grain, it's a harvest of men and women that God is calling to himself, and he's bringing those people in from every tongue, tribe, and nation to save them. That's what's going on. That's the importance of why this is happening. And so I also want to move off of the idea with the symbolism of Pentecost, but there's two symbols that I want to look at, which is wind and fire, aptly named the sermon title today. Now, when we talk about wind, it's, it's good to understand that word in the ancient wor- world and how it was used. So, in Greek and in Hebrew and even in Latin, the word spirit was also used for wind or breath. So the men and women would have made the connection of what was being said. If we go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 through 2, it'll start to like play out a little bit more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Spirit, the breath, the wind was hovering over. And so you see that there's something going on here is that as they see it, the breath of God was over everything. and was about to create and bring life to everything. And this idea that the Spirit brings life is key in what we're even talking about when Pentecost comes. And so as you get in a little bit further, if you were to jump into Genesis 2-7, this idea plays out even more. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit of life, if you will, and man became a living creature. So God starts playing in the dirt, and he makes this form. It looks like, man, it's just dirt until what? He breathes into it. He brings life to it. So this idea of the breath of God, the spirit of God, would make sense to there is life that comes from this wind that's coming in. See, Jesus even spoke about this very idea with Nicodemus. If you go to John, <clears throat> in John 3:3. Nicodemus comes, starts talking to Jesus like, hey, who are you? What's going on? By what authority? By what power? And then Jesus answers in this just total Jesus bizarre way that doesn't seem like it's making any sense. And he says, and Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again and cannot see the kingdom of God. He's like, what? Born again? And Nicodemus is very confused. He has no idea what he's saying. So then Jesus says, let me me continue the teaching about what I'm talking about. And he starts in verse five. Jesus answered, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'unless one is born of water and the Spirit, "'he cannot enter the kingdom of God. "'That which is born of the flesh is flesh. "'That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. "'Do not marvel that I said to you, "'you must be born again.'" The wind blows, the Spirit blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's talking about this idea of being born again isn't from flesh, that there's another birth that we're talking about that comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one that then gives life. They would have got that, and here's what I love. The Spirit does what the Spirit wants to do, We don't control it. We don't dictate it. We don't make it do that. But it says that the sound of wind is in there too, right? That is pointing to exactly what takes place in the upper room, that the wind blows in. There'd be another section in Isaiah 2.22 that points this idea again about God's breath and what that looks like, and he compares it to to man's breath, which breathes out and, and then you could die, or God's breath which breathes out and gives life. And the big question is, well, who are you gonna trust? You're gonna trust the one where the breath dies or the breath lives. See, that's this this being built out. So these people would have gotten this idea. So they're gathered together in the room and it says that there was a sound like. That's important to understand. It doesn't mean it was, it's like that. It's what, it's what we could, that's the best word that we could use to describe what was happening in that room and what was going on. It was like the sound of wind, but it was something different. Sometimes it even translates that it was a violent wind. Well, why? Because there's power that there was, there's power from God, power from the Holy Spirit. And at times we see power and we go, I am small, I am weak in comparison to the power that I've seen. Now, if you've never lived in an area that has strong winds and tornadoes and typhoons and things like that, that doesn't make sense. I lived in the Antelope Valley. That is, you'd be like, oh, that's nice. No, it's not. It's super windy, it's super, I had on the back of my truck a locked hard shell tonneau cover, parked. And the wind ripped it off in the parking lot and threw it across the parking lot and hit another dude's car. It is crazy. If you've never experienced wind that shakes your house, you don't understand the power and the magic of wind. We're from California, we don't get that. Go to the ocean, stand in front of the ocean, and then think about how strong you are. You're not because there's power in that. And so as this violent wind is coming into the room and saying, there, I have power, I have strength, and without me, you don't have that power and that strength. It says that they were filled. Now, this is where I want to spend some time today, The word filled is actually really important and how that plays out in this passage. If we just think that every time we're talking about the Holy Spirit and we only use the word filled, it will become highly confusing about what we're talking about. Are we talking about salvation? Are we talking about something else? Because there's two ways that this plays out. I want to start with the idea of looking at being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the two ideas that I want to talk a little bit about. I'm going to spend more time on the filled part, but I am going to talk about the baptized part and what that means. So we're talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit when we say that we're talking about men and women that have been saved by Jesus Christ. That they have placed their life in the life of Jesus on the death of the cross, that their sins have been forgiven by him. All right, They've been justified by Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about. I was once dead, now I'm alive. And we are given the Holy Spirit who lives in us. All right, so, so, you know, I'm not making stuff up. Let's go back to the Bible and look at what it says in John 14, 15 through 17. It would say this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the Word cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So the Helper is the Holy Spirit. And this is, if you love Jesus, if you've given Him your life, if you've surrendered to Him, you are saved. It tells us, how long is the Helper with us? Forever. Right? So does that mean sometimes? Forever. We have the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is with and he dwells with you and will be in you. That's important for us to know. So anyone who has placed their life in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and it fills us. He will be with us forever. He is our helper. He is the one that does a ton of work in our life. Matthew 28, 20 says, um, and he will be with you always until the end of age, right? So how long is he going to be with us? forever. Okay, so we're getting the idea. My, my favorite one is probably in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory toward all the saints? Um, this idea of sealed is great. If it's sealed, can it get out? No, we're his. We belong to him. And what is it? It is the guarantee of our inheritance, it's our assurance. We don't have to doubt if we're saved. We don't have to doubt if God has loved us, if we are his. Now, this is where it starts to get a little hard for us because we like, okay, what does this mean? What are we talking about? Uh, all believers have the Holy Spirit. We can't lose them. We don't need some kind of second baptism because the Holy Spirit's gone. Like, we used him up and he's out, so I need a little bit more. I need a recharge, I need a refill. That's not what we're talking about here, Okay? We're not talking about that. But you might say, Simon, what about gifts? And what about tongues? And what about miracles? Like, what if I don't do those? Does that mean that I don't have the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit shows up and he starts doing gifts and miracles and tongues. Like, oh man, I must not have the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what God's word says. I remember I had someone come up to me once. And I remember I was at my job. I was sharing my faith. And I was like, I'm going to. Tell you about Jesus, like, oh, I go to church too. And they told me where they went. And then they said, oh, do you speak in tongues? I'm like, no, I don't have that gift. Like, oh, maybe someday you'll get saved. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up, girlfriend. Like, are you kidding me? I was so angry. I'm like, how dare you? I'm trying to convert you. <laughs> and I remember I was so mad. And I'm like, I love Jesus. I've been baptized. Just because I don't have this gift of tongues, which we'll get to at some point, we're not going to get into all that today, doesn't mean that I'm not saved. Because here's the thing, we are, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and is not based on feelings and emotions. And a lot of what we see at, at many times is that, well, I have to feel this way or I have to experience this thing. It's like we can have a race car, but you don't have to redline it all the time, do you? Right, and sometimes your race car is in the garage, isn't it? Hopefully, you're not. You don't live in it. Maybe if you're so poor, that's because you bought it. But that's another story for another day. But what I want to talk about is this idea: It's like we know that the Holy Spirit is with us if we're saved. We don't lose Him. It's the guarantee of our. It's the assurance of our faith. It's our guarantee of our inheritance that we will be with Him forever. Okay. What I talk about is I want to talk about being filled by the Holy Spirit, and that's something different. And when we get to Pentecost. That's different. It's not the same thing that we're talking about. And so when we are talking about this, who are we talking about and what are they doing in the moment? Last week we talked about this, right? They were all in the the upper room and they were doing all these things. What were they doing? They were obeying God. They were waiting on God. They were in fellowship with each other. They were worshiping God at the temple. They were singing together. They were praying together. They were reading and submitting scriptures. They had seen the risen Christ. He had spoken to them. He had given them the charge They had placed their faith in him. They saved or not saved? Saved. They're living out their faith. They're doing what they can. There's just something else that's going to be happening here. Now, let me make my case a little bit more. In the New Testament, the term filled with the Spirit is used 14 times. Okay? So 14 times. The references are going to be up here in a second. They're going to pop those up. Four of those are used before Pentecost. Okay, in the New Testament. So these are references, if you wanna go back, if you wanna study those, write them down, look them up, you can see all of them. You're like, that's not 14, Simon, I know. We're gonna go over the other four in a second, all right? So just, just hang on there. But here's something I want us to understand. When someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, there is something that happens every single time with the Christian, the follower of God, the lover of Jesus. When they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they always do the same thing. Every single time. They proclaim the amazingness of God in praise and worship, and they talk about his nature, they talk about his character, and they testify about Jesus. That is what happens every single time. Right? So, what we see before Pentecost in Luke, let's get to Luke. I have so many little markers here, I'm completely lost in my own Bible. Luke 1.15, For he will be great, talking about John the Baptist, for he will be great before the Lord and must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit when? Even from his mother's womb. So right away. Great argument for when, when a child is actually a child. By the way, just going to throw that out there. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. All right. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And what's his job going to be doing? Talking about the Lord. Turning people back to God. Calling them to repentance, talking about the Savior, talking about the Messiah. All right, let's just go one page over. Let's look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth is in 141. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does she do? She exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, capital L, should come to me? What did she just do? She just proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. Do you see what she, filled with the Spirit, testifies about who Jesus is and the character and the nature of God. That's what's going on. All right, let's go to Luke 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. What does he do? He goes out in the desert. He's tempted. And what, is, what do we keep seeing that Jesus does? He's tempted. Man shall not live by bread alone. What's he doing? Quoting scripture, testifying about God. You shall worship the Lord your God and, and him only shall you serve. And then he goes on a little bit more. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Fill the Spirit, proclaiming God. That's, that's what he's doing. And in Ephesians... Back to Ephesians in 5:18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And what do we do when we're filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual song, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, praising God, proclaiming his goodness, speaking scripture, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what happens when we're filled with the Spirit? The same thing takes place over and over and over again is that we proclaim the goodness of God. Now hear me right now, and you may hate this next statement, but this is true. Pentecost was not about tongues. It was about the message that they spoke. That is what Pentecost was about. It was about the message that they spoke. We get so wrapped up And all of the stuff that's going on is like, well, this is crazy, and this is different, and this is new. Yeah, it was. But there was something important happening. God was filling the city with men and women from all over the known world of that time. So it says all over the world. That's what the world was known, and in that time, in that place, when they say the whole world. And all these different languages get filled into the city. And as they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they do the same thing. They go to where the people are and they start speaking in different, it would say tongues, that word is translated language, an actual language, it's not gibberish, it's not a bunch of noises, it's not a bunch of babble, okay? No, they're talking in another language. And I love this next, this next line just seems so innocent but it's super funny. And it says, aren't these all Galileans? That is a total insult. It's a total di- Aren't these morons? That's really kind of what they're saying. These hillbillies can speak these other dialects perfectly? It'd be like if I came up here and I just started speaking in Mandarin without, like just perfect Mandarin. Like, oh, that guy's good. No accent, no nothing, hitting everything. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing. Now, I can't do that. I've never been able to do this. So if I did it, it'd be a miracle. It'd be crazy. And that's a word for you if, if you speak Mandarin. But the, the, the reality is this, is these uneducated men and women go out and start speaking perfectly to the people that from all over these different regions and all over these different areas. They were speaking a real language. Now, this is what I want to make sure we understand. hundred and twenty people were doing this. So if we all just started talking at the same time, even if it was something, you know, intellectual and good and, and it was glorifying God, it'd be kind of hard to understand. It would feel a little crazy. But here's what wasn't happening. They didn't run out there and start writhing on the ground and shaking all over the place and like blah, 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 blah. They weren't doing that. They went out. And they started speaking to people. So they would speak a language. I don't know if they were gathering in like little uh, circles or little areas. They were most likely by the temple where everyone was kind of at. We'll find out later it's about 3,000 people in that area. So it's the only place that would have been able to really have that many people in that area. So chances are these 120 people kind of go out and they just start speaking. And as people are hearing what they're saying, they're kind of congregating to where they are. And they're communicating an actual message. Look at the, if we go to this map, look at this. This is what's, I I love this. I'm a visual guy. If you look at what's happening, Jesus is fast tracking his mission, isn't he? What did he say? You're gonna go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and? Look how far out, all these people had come to this place. They all showed up and like, it would have taken years and years and years to take that message out. But God's like, no, no, I got it. I'm going to bring it all in. We're going to make sure we all understand. We're going to get them raised up. We're going to get them trained up. We're going to get them saved. And we're going to send them back out to where they go. Like, how brilliant is God and how he works? He's doing the actual work. He gives, like, here's your mission. By the way, I'm going to do your mission. Hey, uh, by the way, I need you to communicate this. I'm going to give you the power to communicate this. He's doing all of it right here in this moment. He's showing how he's going to do that. In verse 11, it says what they were talking about. So what were they saying? What was the big message? They were proclaiming the mighty works of God. Remember these men and women had just spent 40 days with Jesus as he explained all of the Old Testament? Like, let me tell you how everything's about me. You're like, that seems very arrogant. It's not if it is. It's all about Jesus. It's everything that was written in this book is about me. And he's saying everything from the beginning. When Eve was told that there would be this serpent, and it would, you know, there would be this offspring, talking about me. When we started talking about how God's going to save the world and make this new nation and it's going to spread all over, it's about me. When you start sacrificing animals and you're going through this process and you're having your sins forgiven, that's about me. When you want forgiveness of sins, that's about me. And they just kept walking through it. This reality of that God sent his son to walk among us, to show us what it looked like to be fully obedient to God. You know why it's, we look at Jesus and we're like, gosh, that guy is so righteous. He's so holy. He's so amazing. He is. You know what that shows us? That we're not. Like, I can't do that. I can't live that life. He's like, I know. I need you to see that, that you can't do it on your own, that you aren't able to save yourself, that you can't free yourself from sin. You can't free yourself from bondage. Every time they're casting out demons, he's saying, I can take care of that problem. Every time he says, your sins are forgiven, he's saying, I can take care of that problem. Every time he raised someone from the dead, he said, I raise people from the dead. And there are people in here today who are stuck in bondage of sin. Whether that is an addiction, whether that is a belief, whether that you've been hurt, whether it's sins that you've committed or sins that have been committed against you, that that sin holds you and it torments you, and it keeps you from having the peace of God in your life. It's a thing that we wrestle with, that we have guilt and shame and regret and remorse. And you're like, I feel those things. I know that's the effects of sin. And that's what Jesus came to die for to take those. He nailed them to the cross so you could be free of those things. That's what He does. And this is the gospel, that he has died on the cross and that anyone who has placed their life in the life of Jesus receives the reward of his life. He has given us his righteousness, that we are made new, that we are no longer dead, that we are alive, that we are no longer lost, that we are found, and that we have a purpose and a meaning to our life, that we are brought back to the Father the way that we were always designed to be in the garden. And he will do that in Revelation. I was praying last night and a song came on and it just talked about Revelation 21, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and how he will wipe away every tear and there will be more death. And I just started sobbing because I so desperately long for that time when we will stand before the Lord and it's all over. It's all gone. It's all done. The struggle is over. We can worship our Father the way that we were meant to be. And he offers that gift freely to anyone who would call on his name. I would say this. You're like, Simon, I don't like, I don't like what you're talking about. And I disagree with you. That's great. If the only thing you just heard was the gospel, then I win and you still lose. <laughs> because it's about the gospel. It's not about how all my different views on the Holy Spirit was. This is, at the end of the day, it's about the gospel. It's what the Holy Spirit came to do. See, the other symbol that we haven't even gotten to is fire. Every pyro's eye uh, is just perked up when I said that. That was me as a kid. When we talk about fire in the Old Testament, over and over again, we see that it's, it's, the presence of God is represented with fire. It also represents purity. It also represents being cleansed. In Genesis 15, Abraham is making a covenant with God, and this, it's a crazy, st- I'm gonna, I will preach this, it's awesome. That he's making this covenant with God, they cut up these animals, they lay them all out, and they're like, there's this pathway between them, and the idea was, when you would make a covenant in that day, in that age, that you would slaughter these animals, you'd lay them out filleted, and you'd walk between them. And the idea was, if I break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. Okay, so that's kind of what the whole symbolism is all about. It's like, a lot of animals, oh, that's what it was. And so when God was making a covenant with Abraham, the best part is this, is like both parties would walk through that, right? And say, okay, I'll keep my side, I'll keep my side. God goes through twice. It's like, I'll keep both sides. And he is represented by a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Moses, he went up to a bush. What was it? It was burning bush. It was on fire. He's talking with God. God is there. He's present. Mount Sinai was engulfed in fire and smoke was going up and there was lightning. That God was present. When the tabernacle and God was there in the tabernacle with Moses, there was a pillar of fire that was over it. When God was guiding his people during, um, during the night, it was a pillar of fire that would guide them to where they were going. Hebrews in uh, 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. Fire brings light. I love that fire brings light. When you go camping, it's, it's, everyone wants to make a campfire. We're in California, so you never get a campfire again for the rest of your life. It's just so not fair. So not fair. Um, Matthew 5, 14 through 16 talks about this idea about us being fire and the presence of God in our life and what that does to us and what that shows you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That God has transformed you. That there is a presence of God on you. When the tongues came over and they looked like fire, the presence was over who? A building? A tent? People. The presence of God is with people. The Holy Spirit is God. He resides in us. The presence of God is with us. And we get to take God everywhere we go, all day long. Every word, every action, every deed, every thought, we're taking God. Like, that's terrifying, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't there a bit of responsibility? I'll say this all the time. It matters how you live. It matters how you live. You're like, well, I I got fire insurance. I can do whatever I want. It matters how you live. You are the temple of God, the presence of God. You take God before you everywhere you go and you represent God with what you do. The Bible would continually say that truth is light and that darkness points to lies. That truth and our light pushes away darkness. The gospel pushes away darkness of sin and it pushes people towards God, a God who is saving them. This passage is telling us that we cannot do this in our own power, but it must come from the Holy Spirit. Because apart from God, we can do nothing. Fire spreads and it moves, and the gospel on that map that we saw was going to spread out all over the world. We are here today because the gospel spreads out. The gospel moves out. We'll see actually later in, in the, the book of Acts that Peter uh, gets filled with the Spirit multiple times at different times to proclaim different messages. What I love is that Peter's always proclaiming the message of God and at different times these great movements happen. That God at certain times does these really amazing things to show us what he's about. The birth of Jesus, right? It was a big event. There was this star and it hung there and it led these people there and there was all this worship and it was like the angels are like, oh! And in the shepherds, all that that was happening, right? Doesn't happen all the time. I mean, maybe, I don't know, do you have a field at Christmas time you go to and the angels open up the veil and you're like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. It happens all the time. No. Or we see with Easter, right? He's crucified on the cross and there's earthquakes and, and the veil's ripped in two. The earth shakes. People come out of the graves. Doesn't happen every Easter, does it? Pentecost was this special moment where God was showing you, this is the beginning of the church and what I'm doing. I'm about to change the world, and I'm going to do it through my people. And you will have my presence, and you will have my ability to do stuff. And at times, the Holy Spirit's going to fill you in ways that you can't even imagine. And he's going to do crazy things. Have you ever noticed when I come up here, I, maybe you've noticed that I pray um, uh, before I kind of get into God's word. And I kind of pray the same thing sort of all the time. And it's, it's not out of habit. It's not a of routine. But I ask the Holy Spirit to use me that I would get out of the way. Now, I'm not in charge of the Holy Spirit. I don't command the Holy Spirit. I'm not the boss of the Holy He's not a genie in a bottle. I, I'm not going to break in a song. He, he is not a genie in a bottle. He's not, I'm not Aladdin. I don't have the ability to make him do anything. But I have... Felt him move in my life before and feel me in that way and I want more of it and I want to experience him moving through me at different times and so I ask God, God let me get out of the way let me, let me communicate your message in a way that I get to see you change lives use me in any way you want but I want to see you save people I want to see you move, I want to see the gospel proclaimed in a way that penetrates the hearts of men and women and I think that if you've experienced that you know exactly what I'm talking about I shared a few weeks ago when I shared the gospel with my friend Eric Yatsumi. Yeah. Filled by the Holy Spirit giving me the words to say and watching it affect his life in a way that I couldn't even imagine. I didn't do that. It didn't have anything to do with that. I just trusted God and was faithful to move forward what he had called me to do. Here's the thing. The issue that this has become about with tongues and Pentecost, it's about gifts. It's not about the message. That's the problem. That's what we've turned this into all this time. So the focus is on the ability. If the focus is on the ability, then the focus is on the person. If the focus is on the person, it's not on Jesus. And that's very problematic as a Christian when the focus comes on us and not on Christ. We always want Christ to be highlighted in every single way all the time. There's a section, I'm not going to get into in Acts 8. Simon the wizard, Simon the sorcerer, uh, you think, oh, my name's in the Bible. Not a good character. He's like, oh, the Holy Spirit, sweet. Can you give me that power so I can lay it on other people? And Peter's like, what's wrong with you? And like just lays into him, like who are you that you think you can manipulate the Holy Spirit and use him for your own glory? Goes off on him. In John 16, this is just so important. In John 16, 12 through 14, it says this. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth so part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us in all truth The truth is important because it's important to God if it's important to God it's important to us yes I can't say that phrase again twice for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and we will and he will declare to you the things that are to come, He will glorify me who's he glorify? Jesus, he will glorify. Me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? To point to Jesus every single time. So when I I get nervous, when I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit more than they talk about Jesus. When I hear things about, well, all I need is the Holy Spirit. That's not true. You need Jesus because you can't even have the Holy Spirit without Jesus because he's the one who sends him. So when we start talking about that, oh I need, I need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit yes, he's important, but he will say no, it's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about your gifts. It's not about your abilities. It's about Christ and Christ alone. That's the big idea. John 4, 23-24 would say that we worship in spirit and in truth. That to worship God, we worship in the spirit. That he guides us in that worship and it is rooted all in truth. And if if you're coming from a place where you hear more about the Holy Spirit then I would question what gospel you're really getting and what message you're receiving. And it may seem like, well, it's, it might seem minute, but it's really actually important to how we worship and who we are as individuals. See, being filled by the Holy Spirit is the work of God and not by us. You're like, well, what's the takeaway, Simon? What's this? I need an application point. I need to do something. Tell me what to do. Nothing. You do nothing. The Holy Spirit does the work. He is the one who moves. He is the one that changes hearts. He is calling us to trust him and to be faithful. That's it. We'll see next week what happens when Pentecost comes, but there is two responses. And I'll tease it out a little bit. The first response we see in Acts 2, 7 and in 12, right? in 7 it says and they were amazed and astonished <laughs> amazement and astonishment come when god moves and the holy spirit starts doing crazy things that we can't explain they're like what is happening the other thing is rejection cuz there's those like what is going on what are they what are they doing what does this mean but then the next phrase is like they're drunk That's the only explanation, they're drunk. And then Peter's gonna light them up. And I cannot wait to preach next week on that. And so I would say this, as we move into a time of worship and we come back up here, are you letting God do the work? Are you letting the Holy Spirit do the work? He's working. This weekend was about letting God do the work. He's moving people. And there'll be times while you're faithfully talking to somebody, building a relationship that you will get filled in that moment. And that is when God is going to move in your heart and you're gonna experience him in amazing ways. And he's going to touch the lives of others to save them. Because Pentecost is not about tongues. It's about the message of the gospel that we take forward. And that is what we're called to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending the helper. We need so much help because we cannot do this. I ask that we would rest in your ability to save. All you want us to do is to trust you and to believe you. I ask that we would do that as we trust your word and believe who you are, that you would do mighty and amazing things, that we would get to watch you work, that as you fill men and women as you choose, that you would allow us to have a front row seat to how you change lives. We love you, we are grateful for you, we are thankful that you have given us the assurance of our faith through the Holy Spirit who proclaims the goodness of your Son. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name, Jesus, amen.